My name is Brent. I've always kind of liked my name. Brent. It brings Brent Spiner to mind. Not that my last name is Spiner. Or maybe it is. I'm not going to tell you, or it would be the end of the podcast. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna read and discuss each Animorphs book in order. This week we're doing Book 15, The Escape. While doing some more light eco-terrorism at the Rainforest Cafe, the gang is approached by Eric the Chi with some hot intel that the Yerks are working on something big in the ocean just off of Royan Island. It apparently involves a race of psychic aliens called the Lyran. The Animorphs decide to investigate by flying out to the island as birds and the morphing dolphins. They discover a massive underwater facility hidden by a hologram, but are driven off by some two intelligent-seeming hammerhead sharks. They end up acquiring some hammerhead morphs from a place called Ocean World, thoroughly wrecking the place in the process, and use them to infiltrate the compound. There they discovered the Yerks had been implanting the local hammerheads with some sort of intelligence-enhancing technology to force-evolve their brains to a state suitable for Yerk inhabitation, so that they can use them as shark controllers to invade the Lyran homeworld. The Inmorphs manage to destroy the base by killing the force field, keeping the area pressurized. Visser 1 may or may not be dead, and at least Rachel and Axe now know she's Marco's mom. Yeah. I the, the opening of this book, which features the Rainforest Cafe heavily, gave me such memories of how much I loved the Rainforest Cafe as a kid. It's one of those places that always seemed way more attractive as a kid than it really was. Yeah. Also, up close, the Rainforest Cafe was always one of those places that seemed like it was always... In disrepair. Oh, yeah? Like, presumably it had a heyday, but I, I never saw it. But yeah, the whole call out to Rainforest Cafe was very satisfying for me, emotionally. I don't remember the ones I went to ever having live parrots, though. No, I definitely, I don't, so, so, I I thought that was weird, because I also never remember seeing birds at a Rainforest Cafe, and you mentioned that it's also weird that this is the first time they've actually, like, interact well. I guess it's not the first time they've actually interacted with a brand. Like, a lot of brands are mentioned, but usually pretty in passing. Cinnabon gets a lot of call-outs. Right, right. Of course, Cinnabon. It's the choice of Andalites everywhere. And for some reason, K.A. really loves Cinnabon, I guess? Yeah. And does she really love... Is she getting Cinnabon kickbacks? Yeah, is she getting a little icing on the side, you know what I mean? Getting glazed. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know what I don't know what the Rainforest Cafe did to KA to deserve such a smearing. They really just messed up her meal. Or like she's incredibly offended for the dignity of these made up birds. Much like Cassie, who's so, so offended for their dignity that she stuffs them in a friggin' closet. <laughs> and morphs them and Yeah, and morphs them. Although really the whole point of this scene is just so that they have an excuse to run into Eric the Chi so he can do his hologram thing and tip them off. Yeah, Eric, who I w absolutely 100% forgot existed oh, in no! these books. Oh no! How could you forget about the Chi <laughs> and their good boys, the Pemelites? I don't, you know, I don't know how I did it. I probably did it the same way K.A. did, because she has not mentioned them in the, the last 10 books. Well, I have to imagine that 
Eric's been spending some time recovering because he went through some heavy stuff. Yeah. There was all the killing, yeah. which he did not enjoy in any way. No, he did not get the taste for the mass murder. Uh, and Margot really lingers over it in his prose. He talks a lot about what a murderer Eric is. And it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe chill, Margot. You're not, you're not a hero as much as you think you are. Man, we get some heavy Marco introspection in this book. Mm, no kidding. In, in, in a good way, because like the last book, the Cassie book, a little a little dry and slapdash. So it was kind of nice to get some really serious Marco internal monologues. I think Kay does a really excellent job of showing him grappling with some dark stuff here. Yeah, there's there's so especially because there's a part later on in the book after they've uh well marco is struggling with having to do a shark morph again because he last time he encountered sharks he almost got ripped in half understandably an upsetting thing but basically as soon as he gets the hammerhead morph he sort of really takes to it and i thought that was interesting because we we get a similar sort of thing with rachel and the bear morph where she almost has an emotional connection to the way the bear makes her feel. There's a part in this where Marco, like, almost, uh, he starts to morph Hammerhead and then stops because some bullies come in. Yeah, because he's morphing in broad friggin' daylight. (laughs) In the school pool? Yeah. You can tell they must be California kids because I don't know who else can afford to have pools. He's lucky Jake was there to stop him because he would have been in for a world of hurt when he morphed into a saltwater creature in a freshwater chlorinated pool. Yeah, no kidding. But so so Marco starts to morph and then stops. But then these bullies, you know, they're talking shit because they're bullies. And he, he can't he physically can't stop himself. He doesn't even seem to realize that he's morphing into the hammerhead. And I thought that was interesting. Like, he's so desperate to get into the shark morph, for God knows what reason, that he can't even wait until he's not at school in, like, a public pool. And it's super convenient that Jake was there. Yeah. To stop the bullies and to stop Marco from eating the bullies? We finally would have got some real cannibalism in the Animorphs. But he he seems to be drawn to the shark because the shark is emotionless, and Marco is clearly. I mean, they're all they're all suffering from PTSD pretty bad by this point. But this book is especially heavy with Marco's struggle with it. It's interesting that Marco and Rachel both sort of cope with their issues using morphs. Yeah, um, Rachel, when she is talking about her attraction to the bear morph, talks about how it makes her feel invincible. And how, and like nothing can hurt her. And she draws power from that strength. Whereas Marco, his coping mechanism is to not feel feelings at all. And so he's drawn to a morph that just allows him to not. Yeah, I I thought, and I feel, feel like Marco and Rachel both have a particular function in the group that is maybe a little limiting and maybe that's why they both need to to get this sort of morphing uh, uh, sort of therapy out of their system because because marco talks about this book about how he's he's the comedian he has to be cracking jokes all the time even when he's faced with his mother visor one rachel on the other hand has the role of being like the motivator the fighter the let's go get him and she doesn't seem to feel like she can ever be scared or hesitant or afraid So I feel like they're both struggling with the same core idea, whereas Cassie, 
is struggling with the moral questions, but doesn't seem to be struggling with her role quite as much. Cassie's struggling deeply with the fact that she is super into Morphean sentience and doesn't want to admit it. Holy shit, there's there's a fucking, fucking crazy part in this book where they are all like, okay, we gotta get a hammerhead. The best way of doing that is Ocean World TM, and they have one hammerhead. How are we gonna get in contact with it? Because it's a hammerhead. And Cassie's like... Well, we're just going to have to do it. And the others are like, no, what if we all morph dolphins and beat the shit out of it until it's almost dead and then get its DNA? It's the word. It's the word. And Cassie objects, but then is sort of like, yeah, but okay. Hey, what? Cassie. For someone who was just super upset about birds being trained to talk to people waiting in line for a a friggin' restaurant, uh, Cassie is very, very quick to just slide right into ends justifies the means uh when it comes to their animorphs missions yeah to to get its dna i guess that's just what we have to do that is crazy so that was super weird <laughs> but but i don't think she's i don't think she's struggling emotionally as much as as marco marco and rachel specifically there's also a couple moments that really made me happy where <laughs> Where they all have to morph back to human in the water, and Rachel is like Tobias's hawk stand. Like he stands on her head or her shoulders. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. It's really sweet. And then there's that part where Rachel's sticking up for him because he's afraid of the water. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. It's I like that a lot. I like that that romance. You know Rachel and Tobias are my OTP. Yeah. So we learned something new about morphine technology again in this book. Uh, it's an interesting little bit of world building where he specifically calls out that morphine technology deadens pain. Yeah. Which we'd never really got any indication before that that was a thing they were still feeling, but just like blocked from actually feeling it, which is extremely fucked up. Yeah, that was sort of upsetting also in its own way. The, the idea that they're... I, I always assumed that Kay was being a little metaphorical when she was like, yeah, their organs are shifting and their uh, bones are popping out of place and it's really awful. Uh, but that really does imply that, no, their bones are like breaking and dissolving. And it's just uh, a, an aspect of morphing that they don't have to suffer through it. It really makes me wonder if the whole reason to seed this in here now is because in a later book, someone is going to figure out a way to like disable that or it's going to happen by accident and they're going to have to morph and feel it that that brent you just saying that was so upsetting (laughs) just the idea that that might be the case is oh my god i just don't know what other reason she'd have to establish that as fact you make a good point I, i there's another thing that she establishes in this book that i assume also must come back and that's because that's early on Tobias needs to get a dolphin morph cuz he he never got one before becoming a hawk and they're like how do we get a hawk to touch a dolphin cuz he has to touch it with his now permanent hawk body foravorily hawkalized <laughs> and fully red-tailed and loving it yes and so their plan and again they're not known for having great plans, but this is an especially bad one, is in the middle of the day, in the middle of the 
like a show for the dolphins. Tobias dives down and latches onto a dolphin and then gets stuck. Like his claw, his talon gets stuck in the dolphin. Once again, Cassie just goes along with this. Yeah, which doesn't, again, there's got to have been a better way. But Tobias latches on to the dolphin and then the dolphin takes Tobias for a ride in the water, which doesn't do his fear of water any good. (laughs) But the dolphin at no point, it doesn't calm down like it's been established that animals do when you acquire their DNA. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, it's specifically mentioned, which I think, which I thought was weird. I, I assume that also has to come back at some point. The morphine trance is bizarre in the first place. Yeah, it, it seems almost, it, it did seem a little bit broken that they can just calm down any animal they run across by acquiring its DNA, whether or not they use that DNA. But it that seems weird. I assume it's an authorial conceit because how else are they going to get battle morphs? Yeah, yeah, they needed it. I mean, they've already touched and gotten the DNA of dozens of animals. And there's no real explanation for why this one dolphin just didn't take to it. Maybe it's because this is the first time that they've actually injured an animal in the process of acquiring it. Oh, maybe. That's an interesting point. I mean, (sighs) normally they just put a hand on and they acquire the animal, but Tobias doesn't have hands. His talons, so he has to grip and break the skin and hold on. And that's actually wounding the animal in the process. And I don't think they've ever done that before. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other morph that that's been the case for. And I don't don't think it is, so that, that might be it. I mean, it would make sense from a survival point of view for pain to override the morphine trance. But I don't know if Kay Applegate will ever explain this or not. Yeah, I'm curious to see if that is anything. It might not be. So the Yerks have this plan to conquer the Lyran homeworld by using shark controllers. Yeah. I don't even know what to make of that. Because, they, I mean, they have this circuitous plan to invade a water-based homeworld in which there are psychic aliens. And they want to get the psychic aliens because that would make um, killing Andalite bandits easier, I guess. I don't really know why they need psychic aliens when they can just infest hosts. Well, they can't infest the psychic alien hosts because they'll get caught out by the other psychic aliens. That's the whole point. I don't think it's necessarily having anything to do with the Animorphs. It's just Yerkes' colonial power. They're gonna conquer a place, and this is their next target. Yeah, they're just invading to invade. I mean, it. It for most invading forces, having psychics on board does seem like it'd be super useful. But, like, I unless this is indicating that there's some other internal force to the yurks like is there a resistance group within the yurks that doesn't like being a colonial power that they need to route out or like what 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 other than the andalite bandits is this something that they absolutely need this could be entirely an internal politics thing if the relationship between viscer one and viscer three is any indication the viscers do not necessarily get along Mm. Yeah, that's that's extremely possible because it seems like this is being run by Visor One uh, on on Visor Three's turf. It's a pretty elaborate fucking operation, too. Yeah, this whole James Bond esque fucking spy movie underwater base with their, their invisible submarine. With their, yeah, with their glass submarine. Pretty okay. Pretty silly, uh, but also I love it. You want to talk James Bond villain? They've got a shark brain surgery assembly line that the Animorphs just apparently go along with. (laughs) 
Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and the all and the poor sweet animorphs, they all get in line. Like they're all like, yeah, let's see what this is about. Marco even compares it to a cattle shoot at a fucking <gasps> slaughterhouse. Yeah, and they're still just like, oh well, let's uh, let's go along and see how this is. Yeah, what's the chance anything bad'll happen? Probably not. And then they get their fucking brains drilled into, <laughs> which is a new one. Yeah, K. Applegate breaking new ground with the brain surgery horror here. But it does lead to an interesting little bit of world building. Yeah. Where they try to demorph, but they can't because the chip in their brain's physically larger than the fly. Yeah, it, this hasn't really come up, and I'm kind of surprised. I, I, I have to assume it's like inorganic matter that is put in your morph body. Because there, there's a moment where they're... They're hammerheads, they morph humans, and then they have to morph morph flies for some godforsaken reason. I don't know why they go to flies every time. They're tiny and not noticeable in a lot of places. Yeah, relatively, I guess. I mean, how do you get flies in an underwater base, though? Very carefully. (laughs) So they, yeah, so then they morph into flies, or they start to, but the chip basically threatens to explode out of their bodies because their bodies can't handle it. Right, they almost pop like tiny fly balloons. Yeah, so that was grim. That was pretty fucked up. Yeah, and it's weird that it hasn't come up until now because I feel like they've definitely been shot at before. Yeah. Maybe not hit, but I guess most of the time they're getting fired at with Dracon beams or something? I don't know. Um. Anyway, it's just, I guess it's good that none of them has like a plate in their head or a pacemaker or pins in the bone or anything yeah like yeah the first time you try to morph an ant or something it's gonna burst out of your body although i i guess also what would happen is that it would just heal like would you would you just morph like a bird and then morph back to a human and not need the pacemaker anymore the healing properties of the morphing is still a bit of a mystery to me I mean, I don't know if it's a genetic thing and it'd still be present in your DNA. Yeah, that's true. So if you're reverting back to your original DNA, you might still have heart disease. Then again, this series plays real fast on this with what <laughs> DNA actually is. Yeah, that's true. I guess if you get to keep your you get to keep your bike shorts, you get to keep your heart disease. We do get a callback to my my favorite sort of horror in these books, which is cannibalism, because Visor Three Visor Three arrives as some sort of like yellow sea dragon worm thing some some bullshit something really incognito for earth's oceans yeah just like hanging out in the ocean in that way really again so unnecessary but he definitely swallows axe whole (laughs) (laughs) he finally got one of them in his mouth yeah finally and then gets hugged he gets he i think like rachel hugs him so hard he like cracks in half or something yeah, well, so Rachel grabs him. He's got an axe in his mouth. Rachel bear hugs him as a bear. Yeah. Uh, and then breaks their number one rule and thought speaks to him and says, like, let him go or you're fucking dead. Yeah. And then uh, he gets his face punched off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it was Marco. I think it was Marco and his yeah, and his gorilla morph. Yeah, I think so. Yes, it was Marco and his gorilla morph. I remember because they do actually meet one Lyran, which is like they look like toads that have four tentacles, like in the cardinal directions on their bodies. Which okay, fine. I thought they had them instead of legs. 
I thought it was, I thought they had frog legs and then they have four tentacles, one in front, one in back, one on the left and one on the right. Oh, like some Book of Revelations angels stuff. Yeah, it, this is some Hieronymus Bosch bullshit for sure. But they meet one and the Lyran's like, that one's a human. And Mr. One is like, no, that's a gorilla, sweetie. <laughs> that's just, that's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's just an earth animal it's called a gorilla they're really closely related to humans but you just stop and the Lyran's like no nah, it's a that one's a human <laughs> it's very bad they're all so bad at their jobs just none of the vissers are in any way willing to entertain the thought that these are not andalite bandits even when directly told no that one's a human yeah literally being told <laughs> That one's a human. <laughs> like, oh my god. And presumably that Liren died when they fucking destroyed the, the Bond base. By, they, not, okay. They destroy this James Bond sea base by setting up a self-destruct alarm for it to go off in five minutes, which is also so James Bond. Right, and it's got a voice that comes up the loudspeaker cheerfully announcing to everyone that the place is about to self-destruct. But I mean, I guess they have to have this so that nobody finds their secret base if they have to abandon it. Yeah, the same reason they made the chips that they put in the Hammerhead's brains liquefiable. Which is really bizarre because it seems like it would be way less effort to just go with bombs. Yeah. Well, I they, guess that'd yeah. kill the shark. Yeah, the, these Yerks have more concern for the Hammerhead population than the actual Animorphs do. <laughs> it is not revealed until the very end of this book that Visor One is Marco's mom. So now at least Rachel and Axe know. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and Jake knows, but he's kept it from the other Animorphs for, no, for for emotional reasons. He doesn't want their pity. Which makes sense when you think of his self-prescribed yeah. role in the group uh, as the one who keeps them all thinking of life as a joke instead of terrible. And it's really difficult to be the sort of jokester in the group when everybody thinks that you're just masking pain yeah because they'll all be thinking like oh he's just projecting he's so broken up inside i mean he is though yeah he totally is and i don't think yeah the fact that he's hiding this from them just ensures that when they all eventually learn it'll be at the worst possible moment as it is in this case where they have the opportunity to put down visor one and don't because it's marco's mom which okay that's that's I think that's more reasonable than the time they had the chance to put down Visor 3 uh, and just didn't. I mean, they go through controllers like a thresher through wheat, but I guess they get yeah. squeamish as soon as there's not an active yerk in the brain. Yeah, they, they didn't want to kill just the host, even though it is a morphing host. It is an Andalite host, so. That was literally begging them to end it Begging for them to put him out of his goddamn misery. And they said, nah, we know better. We know better than you. Sorry, enjoy your slavery. Yeah, go back to being possessed. Yeah, and Rachel, who just can't bring herself to kill an alien uh, who's begging for death, apparently is fine killing Visser One, whose host is like a person. Yeah. Just like a human? It's like, just like a woman. Just like a... a a middle-aged Hispanic woman. She's like, let's do it. Let's do this thing. Light this candle. Murder this woman. Yeah, yeah, it's grim. It's not good. It's not a good look, Rachel. There is, there's also a really horrifying moment in this book. I, more existential horror than the brain surgery horror, where Marco steps in to see Visor 1, and Visor 1's like, my host is really upset because you're my host's son, and she's upset that you're now controlled. That really 
That really messed me up, Brent. It's rough. And it's, I mean, real terrible OPSEC, too, just walking in there. Although, I, I guess his mom would just have to assume if he's in the secret underwater James Bond base that he's controlled. Yeah, I think so, because I doubt, I mean, there's almost no way she keeps tabs on who who is is or is not controlled. So I don't think she's going to, like, double check that. Hmm, hold on, let me look it up in the spreadsheet here. Yeah, absolutely. If they if they had a spreadsheet of that, you know Hecate would already have that downloaded and be, I don't know, hauling people off into the woods and getting their, their yurks sucked out. But <laughs> we haven't seen any motion like that. <laughs> What? Normally it's $50 extra to get your yerk sucked out. (laughs) And you know, none of the Animorphs are getting a happy ending in these books. They sure are getting full contact, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) so, yeah, I do hope that comes up. I do hope that comes up again because the the fact that her the fact that Marco's mom, who again we still don't have a name for, that really bothers me that none of their parents have names. I mean, I appreciate it's for it's so that the Yorks won't find them, but it's it's getting a little difficult to talk about them. I think Rachel's parents. I think we know their names because they refer to each other by their first names, but I don't think we know any other parents' names. Maybe Cassie's. I feel like we've had the most interaction with Cassie's, but Rachel's parents might also have the most developed characters because we've seen like a lot of their personal lives. Hey, let's talk about how in the process of acquiring their hammerhead shark morph, they had to fucking wreck SeaWorld. Yeah, yeah, not okay. They don't just destroy it. They have acts cut through one of the underwater tunnels while they're in the underwater tunnel surrounded by guards human controlled but human guards yeah those dudes are probably toast so once again the animorphs show that they have very little concern (sighs) for human lives when there is an active controlling happening yeah and well i feel i i kind of wonder if that the crazy woman in the woods that K8 had in the Megamorph. I wonder if that's not maybe supposed to be a justification where, like, if you're controlled long enough, you're not, you're, like, not sane anymore. And that's a, an excuse that might have flown in the 90s. I feel like these days we're all, like, a lot more chill and r- willing to work with mental illness. So that's not an excuse to, like, kill are someone. You, are you sure? Are you sure that we're real better about that, like societally? Yeah, I guess. I guess in a, a personal social level, in a we might be more accepting, but in a a broad societal structural level, yeah, still pretty slapdash when it comes to helping mentally ill p- people. You know what? It's occurring to me that that Woods Bag Lady also escaped that forest fire that she started. Do you think we're gonna hear from her again? Do you think she's already found Hecate? That would be really great, actually. Uh, yes, yes, that's the hidden... Okay, that's what happens in this book. It, it took a while for Hecate to track this lady down. She had to read a lot of news reports, but she was able to find this woman and using some, let's say, computer hackery, get her into a mental home uh, and, and getting getting some funds wired to get that to happen from, let's say, some some rich old yerk controller some sort of 
tech billionaire, perhaps. What would their name be? Joe Bob, but that's a spoiler for book 16. The other thing I wanted to mention that in addition to James Bond, this book was so much like all of their, there was a whole bunch of movies that came out post Jaws and are kind of still coming out that are about like sharks that have been genetically engineered or in somehow scienced to be super smart. Your uh, Sharks and- NATO and Shark NATO 2 and uh, Mega Shark versus Lava Lantulas. <laughs> Also the Samuel L. Jackson movie, Deep Blue Sea, and also Jaws 2 through 4, which I'll have. Jaws 2, if I remember correctly, has this specifically where it's just, uh, it was like a a SeaWorld takeoff and they genetically engineered super smart sharks and the sharks went crazy and ate people because that's what I guess they think sharks that are smart would do. Wait, wait, wait. If it's a sequel, can it be a knockoff? Um, if, ooh, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm going to say this one was because it's that quality. Well, that'll do it for us this week on Fandalites. Thanks for listening. Uh, please like and subscribe. Yeah, subscribe because I have not been good about keeping up our social media because I've been in and out of town and, and really busy moving. So if, you're, if you've been waiting to see social media posts to download an episode, please don't. Please just subscribe. Every Friday morning, we release an episode. Make sure to join us again next week when we read book 16, The Warning. In the meantime, hit us up on social media or email with your thoughts, hopes, dreams, some of that sweet fan art. You know we love that. Yeah. We're at Fandalites on Twitter. We're fandalites.tumblr.com. We're fandalites at gmail.com. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. All right. Thank you for joining us, everybody. And until next time, remember... Nostalgia is a drug.